Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to another edition of the uh, Big Football Podcast. Um, tonight, uh, I'm in the hosting chair, uh, and I'm joined with Paul. Uh, Dan is on uh, extended international leave, um, off to uh, Scandinavia, I think. Uh, if I'm yeah, right, somewhere up there. Finland, I thought he said. Oh, yeah, I can't remember. Somewhere that sounds cold, anyway. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he's off. Uh, on, on to be honest, that could be London con. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Um, but yeah, so he's uh, he's away this week. But uh, we're going to have a, a quick run through a few uh, topical events um, and a bit of a roundup of, uh, of the football league as well, as we've neglected it um, in the last couple of uh, of podcasts we've recorded. So there is, um, if we get into it, there is obviously uh, quite a big story this week that feels like it's just been an inevitability for a while now. And um, I think you did say on, on our last um, podcast, Paul, that if, if he, if we lose to Watford, that Ole will go. Um, and so it proved, I don't know if you had money on it, but well done to you. If you did, um, you probably should have done, but uh, yeah. So Ole has obviously been given his marching orders after a, a string of, of unacceptable results and performances, I think realistically um, that just, it didn't make it look like there was any coming back from. Um, I obviously have a number of thoughts on this, but maybe, I don't know, Paul, do you want to sort of, if I hand over to you and maybe give us a a non-United perspective and um, I can sort of chip in with a few thoughts um, as well. Yeah, I mean, I I do think it was, it it kind of got to the point where it was a question of, of when and not if, I suppose, you could say, well, it's like that with every manager. It's the only inevitability with as being a manager is at some point you're going to get the sack. Um, <clears throat> but I felt we kind of got to that point with Ole. I feel like the sort of 18 months we've been doing this podcast, between them, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Mikel Arteta have been on the brink about six times. And, and every time one of them's got to that point, they've then put a run together of six or seven results that have kind of pulled them back from the brink, as it were, and, and, and kind of regalvanized their teams. But I, <clears throat> I think you knew, going back as far as really the home loss to Villa, and isn't there that strange stat that, like, Nuno's last loss was to Ole, uh, and, and then Smith's last loss was to Nuno, and then, and then Ole's last loss was to Smith. The, the three of them <laughs> connected in some way, definitely. Um, but that home loss to Villa, because I think you looked after that game at the run of fixtures that Manchester United had coming up and they got Liverpool and they got uh, Manchester City and they've got Chelsea this weekend and they got Everton and they were there. You know, they've got Arsenal in the midweek next week in that, that strange midweek set of fixtures live and exclusive on Amazon. Um, and you looked coming out of that Villa game and thought, man, that's that is a difficult run. And, and if they'd gone into that really kind of full of confidence and on the back of a really positive start where they'd they'd beaten the team, all the teams you should expect them to beat, I think it would have been one thing. But they ended up going into that run with a little bit of uncertainty about them. And the one game in that run that looked like it was the opportunity to really kind of re-infuse the side with confidence, especially after the way they got beaten by both Liverpool and Man City, which was comprehensive in, in different ways. The one game was that Watford game, and uh, they didn't just lose it, but it it was kind of one of those games that fell apart, really, wasn't it? From conceding the early goals, the penalties against, you know, having a man sent off in the second half when they got back to two one. I don't think it helped Ole that the guy who come on off the bench and scored the goal um, to get them back in the game at the start of the second half was Van der Beek, who. For months now, it seems he's been really reluctant yeah. to play from the start of a game when it's been clear that the midfield hasn't been clicking. So I, I think when you, you look at that whole combination of, of events, um, it kind of became an inevitability. I still believe that there's no plan in place at Man U, simply, and we, we might come on to that in a moment, but simply because they really did not want to get to this point. They wanted to stick with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, at least for the duration of this season, um, to then take a view in the summer. They obviously gave him a new contract before the season started. They really tried to kind of make Ole the guy. Um, 
to the point where almost at times it felt like they were forcing it when it wasn't quite there. I, I do think, um, to reflect on his time at Manchester United, that they are, he leaves them in a better place than he found them. I think that's true in the sense that the squad, while not perfect, is a lot stronger and a lot better balanced in terms of age profile, in terms of positions, than it was when Ole inherited it from Jose, when I think it still resembled the kind of post-Ferguson mess that it seemed to have been for a number of years. Um, there's a lot of talent in this United squad. Yes, it's probably still a bit top-heavy in terms of you know, the quality at the top end of the pitch, maybe not being replicated in the back five or six. But I think they're on the makings of a good side there. Um, makings of a very good side there. Uh, they're not a long way away in terms of players. Um, but it was clear Ole had completely lost track of what his best team was. He, at times last season, in that kind of slightly more conservative counter-attacking style with Fred and McTominay sitting in front of the back four and, and breaking with the pace of Rashford and, and Martial, it looked as though he'd maybe found a formula. Um, he'd kind of gone away, with that, gone away from that as he tried to make them more front-footed and incorporate Ronaldo better. Uh, and it... it, it yeah, it, it's just been a bit messy and not really worked. And I think ultimately it, it's difficult. Once you've had a result like that one on on Saturday, it's really hard to see a road back at, at one of the big, big clubs because I think he probably lost an element of the fan base, not in terms of people who were willing to go and shout or lay out from the rafters because I think there is still a lot of respect for him, what he did as a player, and in fact what he's done at the club to stabilise him post-Mourinho, but I think he lost a lot of the fans Saturday and over the last few weeks in terms of believing that he could be the guy. Um, I think by the time the, the call came on Saturday night, pretty much everyone believed he was the wrong man. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a a very a very good good summary and lots of lots of you know good points in there which I'll I'll sort of dig out. I mean, I think you know you're right around the fact that he's one of the a, a regular uh, name check on this podcast because it seems every every three or four weeks there's a, a new a new crisis. Um, and and you're right, the the run that normally comes um, after that to sort of dig him out of it uh, just didn't come this season. Um, you know, we started badly, which we always seem to do, and then usually we get a result, and then we sort of piggyback off of that, and all of a sudden, oh, okay, they're the third now, and they're safe, and they've won three out of the last five or whatever, and and it sort of calms down a bit, um, and that that just didn't happen. We just kept losing, um, and and when you're losing against you know the Liverpools and Man Cities of this world, I mean, okay, yeah, they're the you know best two teams uh, in, in the league and, and and probably in Europe, but. Um, you know, they're obviously Man United's fiercest rivals and to be shown up, to be that far apart from them, uh, you know, is, is obviously embarrassing. But then to go away to a, a newly promoted side and lose heavily as well and play shambolically and be, you know, played off the pitch. I, I didn't see all of the game, but, uh, you know, I think it's pretty unanimous that, you know, we were we were second to everything in that game. Uh, yeah, it just makes things un- untenable, really. If it was an isolated result, you'd, you'd dust down and move on, but it's 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 absolutely not, and you just don't see any way back for it. You know, it, there's obviously always rumours around what the players in the dressing room are feeling, but it, it's hard to look at those games and say, you know, are these players really playing for him? Um, you know, it was you know, people sort of picked up on Fernandez after the Watford game, saying to the United fans, you know. Don't don't blame all they blame us. It's like, well, you've had ninety minutes to play well, mate. Like, don't don't. There's no point doing mm. that now. Like, if you want mm. to show that you care, you've had you've had ample opportunity. Um, to and do that and on indeed, the pitch. how many games are into the season? The eleven, twelve yeah. games, right? That you know, that, this he he wouldn't have been sacked if United were top of the league and went and had a mayor at Watford. Would no, he? no, exactly, exactly. If that if that was isolated, because because you know, as you as you've touched on, which we'll come on to in a minute, there's no huge desire in the hierarchy really to get rid of him they will have you know they have they have sort of uh you know bolted their cart to his horse and you know hoped that he'll bring the the sort of good times back or or at least to you know placate the fans enough that they don't have to make a decision because ultimately the people who who make these decisions are not football people so they want to focus on the business side of things and the the football sort of rears its head as as a bit of a distraction so they want to have the minimal amount of effort in footballing decisions 
uh, or a, or a minimal amount of their time spent on footballing decisions. So, you know, that that's why he's always given the time to sort of ride it out, um, which most of the time he found a way to do that. But th- th- this time um, it has all gone spectacularly wrong. And, you know, and, and, and the fact that, you know, money was invested in, you know, on paper, good players. You know, it is a better team than he had a year ago or three years ago, um, which makes it all the more untenable that even with the best set of players he's had to manage, we seem to have gone backwards um, and, you know, not that there was ever a huge amount of sort of identity in that team or, or, or sort of ethos or philosophy. He, he he wasn't able to impose that with, with as good a set of players as he will ever manage, realistically. Um, and some of those players just looked, you know, shadows of themselves. I mean, you mentioned, you know, Maguire. I mean, he's had, a, he's had an absolute shocker of a season, um, compounded with those, you know, silly red, yeah, yellow cards, that, that resulted in him going, um, you know, just as we were sort of potentially trying to claw it back into the game after we'd scored. So what's going on with him? I don't know. Um, I mean, he's supposed to be the captain. So that that's where we're at. You know, we mentioned Fernandez. I mean, he just looks, uh, you know, just just a diff- different player in all the wrong ways to how he has how he's been for the first sort of 18 months he's been with the club. So I, I don't know what's going Interesting, on. Interesting, wasn't it, that, that that was basically Carrick's first big decision last night. And I know we'll get on to kind of, is Carrick the manager or is he the not the manager and is he the interim manager and all that nonsense in a minute. But but the first decision Carrick had to make yesterday in terms of picking the lineup for a, an important game, right, against mm. Villarreal, yeah. um, his, his first action was to leave Bruno Fernandes out of the team yeah I thought that was telling I mean I, I think you can almost trace the moment when it started to, to go good for Solskjaer United to when they signed Bruno Fernandes oh of course and you can almost yeah. you can almost trace the sort of moment when it started to go kind of irreversibly in the wrong direction to the loss of form of Bruno Fernandes he, he doesn't look the same player I, I you know there was criticism last year, wasn't there, at times that he didn't turn up in the big games. Mm. Um, you know, maybe he didn't play his best against Liverpool and City and whatever. But I, I think this year, actually, the issue has been far more. He, he's, he's just struggled to play his best football. He did in the Euros. He had a poor Euros. Ended up out of the Portugal starting lineup, um, And I think it's carried on a little bit into the season. Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I think the, the only time we've ever looked really good under Solskjaer was when everything's been running through Fernandez and he's been on form. Um, you know, I think just before he signed, I think we lost at home to Burnley, <laughs> you know, which kind of tells you we were in another of those ruts that we mentioned and another of those crises. And then all of a sudden we find this, this, this superstar player um, that comes in, immediately revitalizes the team, I think on and off, you know, in the dressing room as well. I think he's, he's a big player in that sense for us. Um, and, and all of a sudden we look transformed um, and he seemed to bring a confidence lift to other players around him as well. Um, but that, that seems to have, have dissipated over the last few months. Like you say, it's, it's not just this season, the, the, the summer, uh, he had a, you know, a, a pr- pretty nondescript uh, Euros and, and has had a, you know, barring the odd flash, he, he scored a couple of decent goals early in the season, but hasn't produced anything since then. Um, and again, that seems to have spread because the you know the the confidence in the in the team over the last you know few weeks has just looked non-existent, um, which has been a, a continued sort of hallmark of of Man United in the post-Fergie era. You know, players have come and gone, managers have come and gone, but we always look uh, you know very close to having a. It doesn't take much to go wrong for for players to all of a sudden seem to to lose confidence really quickly, um, which perhaps says something about the, the mental durability of some of the players we're signing. I don't know, but then, you know, perhaps also what's what's happening off the pitch and, you know, maybe let's face it, that the people we've got in there, the likes of Solskjaer and Carrick, they're not really experienced in that in that area of, of knowing how to, to work with and, and motivate, um, you know, sort of elite level footballers. Um, but, whereas... but, it, but it is a good point you make about, about the kind of, um, you know, players have come and gone and yet this kind of ability to sort of, collapse in certain moments has prevailed because uh, I don't want to sort of dredge up too much the Arsenal result from from Saturday Dan Dan would no doubt be be reveling in it if he were here but 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 I, one of the things that I was talking to a friend about on Sunday after the the Arsenal defeat at Liverpool was you know I think Arsenal have now been losing at Anfield I mean for most of my life we had a good period at the end of the noughties but 
um, and into the early part of the last decade. But the last six or seven years, we've been going to Anfield and getting beaten and beaten convincingly. And I think we've been through basically three iterations of an Arsenal team in that period. And yet it hasn't made any real difference. We've been through three iterations of a team, three different managers, three different sets of players. And yet you can pretty much predict once we go 1-0 down at Anfield, we will find a way to collapse pretty quickly from that point. Um, and, and there must be something there about the attitude within a club and the attitude within a dressing room and, and wider than in a dressing room at a training ground and the level of expectation um, and, and the kind of inability of consecutive regimes of players and, and coaching staff to tackle some of those sort of mental failings, if you like. Um, I think there's some of that definitely at, at Arsenal still. And, and, and some of that, as you say, at Manchester United, where it hasn't taken much going wrong for everybody to sort of lose their heads. Yeah, yeah. And it, and it's, you know, it's a good, and one of the things we should reference, you know, about Ole is his, for whatever reason, I mean, you mentioned about, you know, Van der Beek never getting a go, but his, his, refusal to really change things you know about that point around expectation people have a bad game and that they're all automatic pick the next week uh that and that is one of the things that you know like i say there is a lot of respect for ole among the fans overall but that is one thing that i think did start to frustrate that when when players were clearly not performing to the best of their ability and not as, as sort of interested and motivated as they should they were straight on the team sheet for the next game yeah. you think well how on earth are you supposed to send a message to them when you know we have the squad you know we've got one of the biggest squads out there the players are there you know the players are there to come in um but for whatever reason you, you know you almost knew um the 11 he would pick uh, regardless of form and i think that's always a, a a bad sign as well and then and then to compound that he tried to you know do the the classic sort of desperate roll of the dice of starting to play around with you know, for, formations and styles when yeah. it was just too little, yeah. too late, and was you know, and, and resulted in the you know embarrassment against Liverpool in particular. Um, it was a disaster, and uh, yeah, that's always the sign of a sort of dying regime, isn't it? Where they just start to try and you know they don't really you, you get the sense he didn't know what he believed in anymore, um, and that's that's when you know the the writing's on the wall. So where where do they go from here, Con? As I understand it, the current situation is that Michael Carrick is the caretaker manager. There is then going to be an interim manager appointed at some stage between now and the end of the world who will manage <laughs> United for the rest of this season. And then in the summer, they will go through the process of, of recruiting a permanent successor with the only exception seeming to be based on media reports that if they believed Pochettino was attainable now, then they'd do away with the whole interim idea and just go and get Pochettino. Is, is, A, is Pochettino the answer? And B, if they do end up in this kind of Michael Carrick and then an interim situation, does that sound like a very good solution? Because it sounds a bit of a mess to me. It, it, it does sound a mess, but it's symptomatic of, of you know, the, the mess that we have running the club, basically. So if you have a mess in charge, then they are likely to come up with a plan that is a mess. Because like I say, they're not they're not football people. They don't they don't really know what they're doing. Um, I, I've long thought that um, they, they want to bring Pochettino in and are trying to find the right time or wait for the right moment to do that. I, I believe they are essentially waiting for it to not work out at PSG, um, mm. which largely will be dependent on what they do in the Champions League. I mean, I think they're, they're sort of yeah. fairly comfortable in the league, and obviously they don't really I think, care I think about they're the about 14 points clear already. Yeah, so yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, and, but, the, but that's not that's not a key sort of performance indicator for them. No. Um, it's it's the Champions League is, is what they want, and if he doesn't deliver it this year with, with obviously the embarrassment of a squad he's got and, and obviously particularly the, the lads up front um, they will obviously dispense with his services so um, the, I, the interesting I, thing it seems that the, the problem because I think you know Poch would Poch would come now I think if if PSG would let him out of the contract he he flirted his eyelashes at Tottenham um, in the summer when, when they were going through their everlasting managerial search um, he basically said the other day yeah, of course I'd be interested in Manchester United um, I get the sense Poch is at PSG because he needed a job. I don't think he's particularly vested in it mentally. Mm. doesn't look like he is to me. doesn't sound like he is. Part of the reason for that seems to be about this control issue. Now, 
since Ferguson resigned, who has had control at United? That's one of the questions about the mess that we've never quite got to the bottom of. Was Jaden Sancho an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer signing? It doesn't appear that way because he clearly didn't really see how he fitted him into his team. Um, you know, you go back previously, and, and I think Van Hall commented a number of times on the fact that the transfers weren't all the ones that he would necessarily have picked out. And you go before that, and um, uh, David Moyes struggled to get the people he wanted uh, allegedly in the market, although he did get Fellaini. Um and similarly, Mourinho, of course, famously wanted Maguire a year before they bought him, and, and, and that didn't happen. So the, there's a question about if what Poch is after and what he's feeling let down by at PSG is not having control of the personnel, um, is he going to get that level of control at Manchester United? And if so, who is he getting it off? Because who has it right now? Yeah, I mean, I think there is possibly a, a, bit, of a, a bit of a vacuum. I think... Um... You know, Ed Woodward has certainly, you know, not shown to be astute in, in the footballing area. I think one one name that, that sort of appears in that space now is is John Murto, um, who I think came to the club with um with David Moyes actually. I think he came from Everton, um, if I if I understand it correctly. And he is now I think he's because I don't think he's technically a director of football. I think he's jobbed out something like football director. Now, whether that means he's playing a director of football role, I'm not really sure. It's not It's not super clear. Um, and again, exactly how much influence he has um, is, is not super clear either. But but to answer questions around, um, you know, who's, who's sort of influencing the signing of some of these players, because it doesn't always look that coherent, you know, he, he may be one of the people um, in, involved in there. But... Um, yeah, I think you know it does sort of raise that question of do you know do do Man United want a, a strong manager type in 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 the way they had you know the likes of, of Van Hal and Mourinho, which obviously ultimately neither worked out, or do they want more of the the sort of middleman stooge in the sort of Moy Solskjaer mold, with neither of which have technically worked out? Um, I think you know Pochettino is definitely more of the, the 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 latter aligned with with sort of Mourinho and Van Hal, so it would be a pivot back having someone like that in um i would personally and i think most fans would want someone more of that ilk who carries a bit of weight and has a clear idea of how they do things i think the issue with van hall and marino is their idea of how to do things was not really aligned with manchester united football club and that was ultimately their undoing um for, for different reasons so it's is there it's, someone it's else? almost it's almost the anniversary of louis van hall's famous press conference though uh, which is one of the greatest moments in Premier League history. Oh, which, they are which... singing, Louis Van Hal, army. You people from the press have a mince pie and a glass of wine. <laughs> yes, I remember that. There were a few memorable. Pre- he, he gave good copy, to be fair. Yeah, to him, yeah, the, the one where he had the. You give this to Big Sam. Yeah. <laughs> That was the one I thought you might have meant, actually. Yeah, yeah, when he, he did a little report, didn't he? Because he, they got accused of being long ball, long ball by, by yeah. Big Sam, of course, the ultimate insult. Um, and then, obviously, there was the staggering over in the technical area where he was mimicking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In fact, can they not just bring back Van Hall? He was entertaining. Oh, God, no. Yeah, he was entertaining. His football was dreadful. <laughs> I, I still maintain that was that was the lowest ebb footballing-wise. That was the dullest it's been under Van Hall. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean that this is the problem, right? I mean, you know, Conte was potentially available a few weeks ago. I mean, if he'd take the Spurs job, you'd assume he'd take the United job. Um, you know, could I, it, you I, know, I presume United didn't want him. In fact, I think, and I don't know this. This is complete speculation. I think they were waiting till he was off the market. So they did. So they were forced think, to buy by the weight of appointing Antonio Conte because he's hmm. unmanageable from an executive level. Yeah, possibly, possibly. Um, I, I, I think it's more, I mean, it, there might be a bit of that, but I, I also think it was just because they were just desperately hoping yeah, that, yeah. that Solskjaer would pull a result out and, and, and it would blow over uh, and, they, and they could carry on. Because, like I say, Woodward did offer him that, you know, well, he signed a three-year contract. Um, he's about to leave. So there was a lot of, you know, talk a few weeks ago that he didn't really want his sort of almost last act to be to sack the guy that he gave a three-year contract because that doesn't reflect brilliantly on him. Um, but uh, obviously, yeah, it, it, it did have to happen. Um, but yeah, we're not necessarily left in a 
a technically a better position because there is no succession plan uh, and there's a, a sort of a shortage of, of available candidates, which is why we seem to be going for this this weird approach. So I, I don't know if it's because they've they've got someone specific in mind for the summer, but I think it's probably more it's a hit and hope of let's just, you know, knowing how the managerial merry-go-round works, let's do this interim thing and then just hope that someone gets sacked from March onwards that we can appoint at the end of the season is is, is probably what I think they're going to go for. Um, and like I say, knowing that, that, that Pochettino will almost certainly be out of a job if he if he doesn't deliver the Champions League at, at PSG, I think that it's I think it's more out of hope than any real design or strategy. Yeah. Um, is my gut feel. So and and this won't be news to you, Con, because I've I've said this to you, um, you know, off air as it were. Uh, but to me, if they are looking for an interim manager, the the qualification should be experienced to manage in a big club, speaks English. And ideally, has managed in the Premier League because uh, I know they've been linked. In fact, the BBC says they've made contact with with Valverde, the former um, Barcelona coach, uh, who you know had a great record at Olympiacos and won a couple of trophies at Barcelona, but you know never managed in England. Limited English. To me, I know he's getting on in age. If if Manchester United wants someone of that profile. Arsene Wenger is the obvious telephone call. Now, I have no idea whether he'd do it or not. I have no idea whether he'd do it or not. But Arsene Wenger should be the first phone call. He isn't, even if Arsene Wenger does well, he isn't going to want the job permanently, full-time. He pretty much said that last week when he was doing the media for the release of the the film. He he doesn't want to go back into full-time club management. He doesn't see that happening. Man United come and said to him, look, get us till the end of the season. Um... You know, him and Ferguson have a have a good relationship now. I I just think it's almost too obvious that they won't do it. And and as I say, maybe he'd say, I'm, "I'm I don't want to manage Manchester United. I'm I'm too loyal to Arsenal or whatever else." But that would be the first phone call, surely. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, I think it would would be a bit controversial for a number of reasons. Um, but uh, you know, he's also got his cosy job at FIFA now, hasn't he? So he can he can draw lots of plans for World Cups on whiteboards and and all that stuff. So he's probably quite happy doing that. I mean, he is getting. And on it was on about so. it was on about about development of young players from Haiti or something in the thing I saw last week. So uh, I think part of his job is trying to you know develop. Make sure that young players from from less developed countries have an opportunity to uh, uh, make it big. But yeah, I, mm. I, I mean, he has got a job at FIFA, and maybe he wouldn't leave that. But I, well, I the, think the, the the other the other what would have been an obvious name, but he he actually, as someone who's come in again associated with a, a big Premier League club, but has come in as an interim level and, and delivered, uh, was Gus Hiddink, uh, obviously at Chelsea, but he yeah. actually retired a couple of months ago. Um, so he is is formally uh, off the off the books, um, also in you know similar age bracket to uh, to Wenger. But yeah, he, re- he he retired from management a couple of months ago, so he's not an option either. Fabio Capello, I mean, he doesn't speak any English. Uh, never managed in the Premier League, but I, I mean, I, I think it should be someone of that ilk because I think the last situation United want to end up in is another Solskjaer situation, right? Mm, Where they appoint somebody now as an interim who does well without doing great, who then in the summer they feel obliged to give the job to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or not, I mean, in the Solskjaer case, he didn't even wait till the summer, did it? No. He got the job in about the March-April time permanently, having originally been brought in till the end of the season. That's the worst-case scenario for United, I think. Because if if you're right, Con, in speculating that there's no grand plan and it's just a bit of a hit and hope and Pochettino's option number one, but who knows how that'll go. Let's wait till the summer and see who's available. The risk is suddenly Pochettino's not available and then, you know, the new managers come in and rallied the team to a, a you know, a, a strong third place finish and maybe they win the FA Cup even or get to the cup final or something like that. And United go, well, this is working. Let's give him a three-year contract. And then this cycle just, just ends up on repeat. I think I'd go for an old guy who clearly isn't going to take a three-year contract. Yeah. Because it almost avoids the risk of that happening. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not not a bad shout. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. Like I, th- I, like I said, I think... We're, Roy my... Hodgson's on the market. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, you know, you've had Steve Bruce and Mark Hughes touting themselves as we talk about managers with Premier League experience, Paul. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I honestly don't know. Um, we, we will just have to wait and see. But, yeah, like I say, I'm, I'm, I'm fully prepared to be underwhelmed. Um, <laughs> let, let's just put it that way. Um, I'm conscious we, 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 we've been sort of talking about Man United for quite a while, so perhaps we, uh, perhaps we start to move on. Um, when we last caught up, we talked about the managerial merry-go-round had been in full effect um, and there'd been new appointments at uh, quite a few. Well, about a quarter of the Premier League pretty much changed the managers uh, this month. Um, a few of them got their first wins at the weekend, um, you know, with uh, you know Norwich with a, a much-needed win. Spurs, their first win under Conte and, and Villa with those late goals, getting the win for Gerrard. So uh, they're off they're off and running, so to speak, Paul. Yeah, and, and I think I'll start with kind of the last one, if you like, in terms of Spurs, because they were the Sunday afternoon game. They really, really needed that win. Um, the, the first performance under Conte at Everton was a bit of a damp squib. And then the first half on, on Sunday against Leeds, they weren't very good. They were booed off. They needed that second half desperately, and it was a really, you know, resounding second half performance. And the fans got behind them, and they got a bit of a sort of feeling of um, momentum about them, and, and ultimately blew blue leads away initial to short spell, and Leeds just couldn't cope with them for five minutes or so. But it was right on the brink just before that, just before the Spurs equaliser. Leeds had a couple of attacks, a couple of shots on goal. And I was watching it thinking, if a second Leeds goal goes in here, things could get very ugly. Um, you could sense the atmosphere in the place was was really um, tense. Not suggesting that Conte would have been sacked after two games. Even Daniel Levy wouldn't do that. But I think I think the 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 sort of Conte era needed a sort of kickstart, and and it definitely got that in the in the second half. Um, Spurs will be in and around the, the shake-up for that fourth and fifth place because Conte is a really good manager and he will bleed everything out of those players. I've sort of said my bet on it. I don't think it's a sustainable long-term option. I think Spurs need to commit to a rebuild because that's what it needs there. But in terms of someone to bleed whatever there is out of this group of players, I think Conte is the man, at least for this season. Um, and I expect Spurs to go on a good little run now over over the Christmas period. They've played quite a lot of their tougher games um, already in terms of you look at the, the sides they've already played. Uh, we'll see now how it how it shakes out, but I, I think Spurs might go on a good little run. Um, Norwich have, have won two on the bounce, haven't they? Because they, they won their last game before the international break with, with Farker. Yeah. And then they fired him. And then Dean Smith come in and, and won his first game. So... Having looked kind of cast adrift, they're only three points away from safety now, Norwich, three points away from Leeds. And to say that that defeat at Spurs kind of got away from Leeds in the second half. Leeds are not in great form. Yeah, themselves. I was I was going to say, yeah, they're, they're, in, they're in trouble, aren't they? Yeah, again, a bit of a leaf seems to have been lost in the way they're playing. That They're not quite pressing with the same intensity as last year. But Norwich have now got themselves into that position where they're not adrift and they could potentially catch someone. Their goal difference basically means they're another point behind anyway. They're, they're already on minus 20 after 12 games, which is pretty horrific. Um, but two wins on the bounce, much needed, and it gives them a bit of belief uh, going into this this busy period. And we all know over Christmas you pick two or three wins up quickly because there's midweek games next week. There's another set of midweek games around Christmas time. You know, the games start to come. Yeah, this fast. is it. M- momentum is key uh, around this it, time, it, isn't absolutely. it? And, and if you're on an upward trajectory, it's great. <laughs> if you're on it's a downwards great. one, it can, it can, it can make or break a season. Um, exactly. Because... Cause you can ride that wave now and win five, six, seven games. I, I almost think the opposite way around with Southampton last year, who were kind of fourth or fifth going into December and had a, dreadful December and came out of it about 11th or 12th and it was like well your season's gone in, in just a month's worth of fixtures so yeah. um yeah a big result for Norwich and I think Dean Smith was a good appointment there I think he was a more sensible appointment for Norwich than than Frank Lampard um in terms of being the sort of person who can give them a fighting chance of a battle to stay up and and also has got good experience in the championship if they go down so um that that was a big win. Uh, and then 
Villa beating um, uh, who was it? Villa beat the two late goals. Um, mine's gone blank. Oh, Brian, wasn't it? They Bryce, beat Brian. Yeah, two yeah, late yeah, goals. yeah. Sorry. Um, Watkins and, and Mings. Uh, I think Villa were kind of due a win. They're in a bit of a false position for me. Um, the Villa squad shouldn't be sort of four or five places off the bottom of the league. Um, they have missed Jack Grealish. Uh, they have struggled, I think, to kind of adjust the way they play because pretty much everything went through him. But it was a good start for Gerard. They needed to win that game. Uh, they won it. I think they, they'd lost the last five under, under Smith. So it was kind of at that point where it was starting to get critical. They've got a tougher run coming up. I think they're at Crystal Palace next. Then they play Man City. Then it's Leicester. Then it's Liverpool. It's a little tougher. And I think they've got Chelsea on Boxing Day. So Villa have got a tough run coming, which is, I think, kind of why they made the decision at the point they did. It was like, if we stick with Dean Smith, don't get anything out of the Brighton game, lose this run of bad fixtures that we've got coming up because confidence is low and, and kind of belief's been lost, we might get to Christmas time and look and think, Crikey, we're in a real pickle here. Um, so they've made the decision early. Uh, I don't expect Villa to be in any relegation trouble come the end of the season. No. But I also don't think that makes Steven Gerrard a managerial genius because I think Villa's squad is good enough that it should finish should finish mid-table or thereabouts. Yeah, and no, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting now, like you say, as we're going into that, uh, that busy period. Um, you know, you mentioned, obviously, once I think it's... it's the midweek sort of kick in when the group stage is finished, don't they? The the European um, yeah. tournament. So yeah, then all yeah. Of a so it's next next midweek. There's a set of games, um, and then I think there's another set uh, the midweek of like the 14th, 15th or so, um, and then obviously there's a midweek set in, in between what would normally be sort of two weekends of games on Boxing Day and and the day after New Year. There's a a game in the middle there. So there's sort of three weeks of the next six have got mid midweek games attached to them uh yeah it will be a, a an interesting time you know for, the, for those teams who are on uh, either on the slide or or starting to sort of bounce back as to where where they finish so um we'll track track them with with great interest as we always do um uh, and i think just just before we finish on that kind of managerial changes point you, you look now at the bottom uh six currently newcastle have changed their manager norwich have changed their manager Watford have changed their manager. Villa have changed their manager, which means Leeds and Burnley are the two that are down there who haven't. Now, you would think that both Bielsa and Dyche have sufficient credit in the bank, really, to to kind of ride it out a little bit. But again, if you start to get into that big batch of fixtures and the results are not coming, eventually somebody will get trick, uh, itchy trigger fingers. Um I mean, I think Burnley would be mad to sack Sean Dyche, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility. Yeah, I mean, they've just, they just haven't really got going this season, sort of in no. any way, have they? No. Um, is, it, is it just the one, one win? One win. And I think, you know, I say this ironically after a three-all draw of the weekend, but I, I think it's still that they just lack quality at the top end of the pitch. They're in most games, Burnley, but they just lack real quality at the top end of the pitch. You know, nothing against Ward and Barnes and, and those guys. They've been great, sort of, Vidra. They've been great battlers and war horses for, for Burnley. But none of them are really going to get you a serious number of Premier League goals. And I just think the creativity and the quality of the finishing just isn't where you need it to be. And it's a miracle that they've kept kind of riding it for as long as they have without getting sucked in. I don't know. It, it feels at this moment in time as though this just might be one year too far for Burnley. Yeah, potentially. I mean, yeah, you think obviously Newcastle, I mean, you know, good, good luck to Eddie Howe, but still obviously no winless, um, you know, Norwich might be on a bit of a bounce, but you know, you'd probably still, think they're going to be one of those teams in there um Watford I can see being just completely unpredictable now <laughs> under, under Claudio um and then yeah it's 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 and like I say Brett Villa won't won't get sucked into it they'll be fine um Brentford will have to wait and see they're on a bit of a bad run at the moment though yeah so you see maybe 
Brentford, Brentford, Leeds, you know, then and then the current bottom three, you think it is probably from them. Yeah, Brentford, Leeds, Watford, and then the three currently down there, I think are probably the ones at most risk. Um, I, Southampton, I, I, again, they just seem to pull out a result when you when you think they're about to get really sucked into it. Uh, but I think I think Southampton are, are one to just watch. If they get on one of those really bad runs, um, they could be in trouble as well. Again, having soldings, you, you do just wonder a little bit when you watch them play. Does the team really believe that even if they create chances, they've got someone who's a guaranteed goal scorer? Um, and and yeah, it's it's ultimately in the Premier League. Eventually, if you haven't got someone to put the ball in the net, it catches up with you. Yeah, that's very true. Um, cool. Well, I think that's probably enough on the Premier League. But I know Paul, you wanted to give a bit of a bit of a run through some of the uh, activities in the football league, as we've we've not had a chance to to uh, to cover them much in the last last couple of times we've spoke. So yeah, I'll I'll, I'll hand the floor to you. Um, yeah, well, I, particularly I, I went to actually my first live game since pre or my first live professional game, I should say. Since pre-COVID at the weekend, um, I went to the Valley and watched Charlton against Plymouth in League One. Um, just a word on Charlton, Plymouth went into that game top. Charlton beat them 2-0. Uh, Plymouth hadn't lost since the opening day of the season. They lost 2-0 on Saturday. And then they got beat 3-0 at home by Wickham last night in a, in a sort of top, top of the table clash. Um, not particularly surprised. I, I didn't see anything there with Plymouth that on Saturday that made me think, oh, I can see why they're top of the league. Um, I, not that I'm saying they're, they're lucky and they're a rubbish team or anything like that, but I I didn't look at them, to be honest, and think this is a team that, that's going to push to be in the championship. And I do wonder a little bit if they are a kind of upper mid-table team who just got off to a hot start. Um, you know, they, they weren't particularly impressive. Charlton, on the other hand, thought played well. Uh so Johnny Jackson is still in caretaker charge there since they got rid of Nigel Adkins. And I think it's um, four wins and two draws since he's been in caretaker charge and still not at this stage been offered the job permanently as far as I'm aware. So it's a little bit odd because they've, they've kind of turned their season around and Charlton have got this strange habit that they've been through all the sort of name lower league managers, Phil Parkinson and Nigel Adkins and Carl Robinson, etc. But actually, their success was when Lee Bowyer was promoted from within and gotten promoted into the championship. They came back down. You know, Adkins was an attempt to go this was a name route again. Um, and actually, Johnny Jackson's taken over. Someone who was a legend at the club, played for them for a long, long time, taken over as caretaker manager, having been on the coaching staff, and has gone on this good run. And I kind of think, you know, it worked for you before with Lee Bowyer why don't you just give Johnny Jackson the job and, and trust him to get on with it? Um, so I, I, a little bit surprised that that hasn't already happened. Um, they've kind of made the way into mid table after a slow start. So, uh, they're certainly not going to be in any trouble at the bottom end of the table. I, I would, I would look at giving Johnny Jackson the job if I were them. I think the top end of that table is really interesting. Um, you know, Rotherham are top now. They're the kind of ultimate yo-yo team between the Championship and League One. They seem to get either relegated or promoted between those two leagues pretty much every season. Um, Wickham, obviously, great result at Plymouth last night are in second. Plymouth are third. And then you've got kind of Wigan, Sheffield Wednesday, Sunderland, Oxford, MK Dons. And that group seems to be that sort of top eight, a little bit, not quite broken away, but almost a little bit above the rest in terms of not only the the pure points on the board, but when you look at the results they've got, they sort of beat one another within that group, but they're all pretty consistently beating the teams below them. And um, I, I think that's probably where, where you look for, for your uh, promotion favourites in that league. Um, I, I really fancied Oxford at the start of the year, and they're sort of floundering a little bit at the moment in seventh, having had a good run earlier on. Uh, but that's a really fascinating league, League One. I think there's quite a lot of teams in there that are, that are interesting um, to watch and, and whose seasons are, are sort of taking an interesting shape. 
the bottom end. I think Gillingham are now the longest serving club consecutively in League One. I think they've been in League One the most consecutive seasons. Um, and they're just hovering above the relegation zone. And it, it could finally be the year that they drop back into League Two. Uh, so again, lots of interest in League One. I think it's a really tight league. And I think there's a group of teams at the top and a group of teams at the bottom who kind of are in these almost mini leagues against one another, similar, I suppose, to the Premier League in that regard. Um, in the Championship, since I declared that Bournemouth were going to walk away with the league, they've hit a bit of a stumble. Um, and Fulham are now top, but there's still a pretty big gap between Fulham and, and Bournemouth. Uh, I think Bournemouth second or seven points clear of West Brom in third and have a game in hand. So... Uh, that top two does look at the moment as though they've kind of put a bit of distance between them and the rest. Um, QPR, you'll remember, Colin, with my big preseason outside tip. They're back at the playoffs in sixth. Um, at the bottom end, the, the further points deduction for Derby just makes it feel like a complete inevitability that they will get relegated. Um, it will be interesting to see how long Wayne Rooney sticks that out because... I can't see any way that he helps his reputation at Derby now. Like, even if they, let's say they get relegated and he brings them straight back next year, is anyone really going to say, well, that's great management from Wayne Rooney to get Derby promoted out of League One? Mm. Yeah. I, I just I feel like that club's not doing him any favours at the moment. And, and he took the job to get his first opportunity. And look, if he wanted to be a manager, Derby County's a good football club, forget the scenario it's in at the moment, it's a good football club with a good history but yeah, I'm not sure he's doing himself any favours sticking it out um, Wayne Rooney's been known in the past to remember that he's not so loyal when the, when the moment requires it <laughs> um, well. so it'll be interesting to see what happens there But uh, yeah, I think we'll maybe come to League 2 next week, but I, I think in terms of the Championship Definitely there's a top two, and, and I think at the bottom, Derby feels like a bit of an inevitability. The rest of the league is still the bonkers championship that we know and love. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Um, is there anything else that's caught your eye, Paul, that you want to, uh, that you want to mention? I think, uh, yeah, obviously you touched on um, Derby with the, the further deduction is obviously pretty... Pretty terrible news for them, and it's looking it's looking bleak there. But um, yeah, is there any is there anything else either north of the border or in Europe that's that's caught your eye? Um, not uh, not in terms of domestic football. I think I think we should just uh, recognise how close Harry Kane is now to the England goal scoring record, and not just that he's close to it, but that his ratio is is phenomenal. I think it's forty eight in sixty seven. I mean that is an incredible record. Uh, when you've been up front for England and been the main centre forward in big international tournaments and, and, you know, played against some good sides. You think Wayne Rooney, I think, got 52 or 53 in the end, and it took him well over 100 caps to do mm. it. Yeah, um, yeah. So Wayne Rooney's going to breeze past that. Uh, sorry, Harry Kane's going to breeze past that Wayne Rooney record. Uh, Wayne Rooney won't lie listening to this podcast, will he? There's, uh, <laughs> there's not any good news for him. But Harry Kane, Kane's going to uh, breeze past that record. I wouldn't be surprised if he breaks it before um, before the World Cup next year. Uh, but if he doesn't, then he will certainly do it in the World Cup. Um, the question then is whether it's Harry Kane's kind of last ride as, as an England centre-forward. And I think that, uh, as in being the absolute first choice. And I think a lot of that depends on whether he can kind of refine his best form at Tottenham because uh, he's not been at his best this year. We'll know what happened in the summer. We all know he wanted to leave. It looks now as though he's going to stay at Spurs. I, I don't know that Man City are going to come back in the summer, but who knows? They might. Um, so the question is, can he refine his best form? Uh, because he probably, while he, he got goals in the Euros, he probably didn't play quite as well as he had at the, the World Cup. Um, in Russia, uh, he hasn't had a great start to the season for Spurs. He's going to be England's num- main number nine in in the in the tournament in um, next winter, probably a year from now. Uh, but then beyond that, will Gareth Southgate, with his new contract in hand, we should mention that as well, will Gareth Southgate at that point seek to sort of 
move away from Harry Kane towards a younger a younger man as a centre forward, whether that's Mason Greenwood or or somebody of that ilk. Um that will be interesting to see, but he's going to break the record and he's going to break it by some distance, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely correct. And yeah, I think he, he will do it before the World Cup. I think the, the trajectory, I don't know if that someone must have figured it out based on his goal to games, you know, which game it will be that he, he'd sort of break it in. But I'm, I'm sure it will come in given the, you know, the amount of random friendlies we end up playing and um, and so on. I'm sure it'll happen before the... I know the World Cup isn't that far away because it is essentially a year from now, isn't it? But uh, yeah, I'm sure they'll yeah, be... I think we'd be... I think we'd be towards the towards the middle of the tournament if, if we were exactly a year on from today. I think it's intended to finish kind of in the first half of December. So, yeah, it goes from sort of mid-November to mid-December, I think. Right, yeah, I think, that's, I think that sounds right. Um... Excellent. Well, I think that is probably enough from us for this week, um, and we'll leave it there. But um, I think just to say, obviously, uh, you're able to to download us from from all the usual uh, streamers of your of your choice: um, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon, uh, iTunes, and so on. So please do uh, please do listen and, and give us a give us a shout out and, and share with your friends um and we'll hopefully be back to a full strength squad um when we next uh, return which will either be i'm guessing either next week or, or the week after depending on availability but uh yeah we will we will be back uh very soon so watch out and thanks for your time paul um it's been an enjoyable run through and quite cathartic to talk about the uh <laughs> the old lady departure and um yeah we will catch you all again very soon thank you